Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is David Klein. David, tell us a bit about yourself. First, Daniel Klein. That's oh, sorry. I, it's Daniel. <laughs> I, I did know that. I don't know why it slipped. That, uh, <laughs> here's the thing. <clears throat> Like, say, the tragically hip in Canada, I am way more famous in the U.S. than I am uh, in Canada. So no, just, just, <laughs> just, so I am a lead advisor for 7investing. What is 7investing? Again, gigantic. No, we're not that big, okay. but we're, we're a, a startup company. Yeah. And what we do is we make seven long-term stock picks. There are seven of us, hence 7investing. Yep. Each of us gives our highest conviction pick to our members every month. And the idea is that you're going to buy stocks that you believe in and you're going to hold them forever. When we say forever, we mean a minimum of three to five years. You should never invest money you might need soon. That is a terrible idea. And how does it work? People go seven picks a month. That's a lot of picks. Should I, you know, should I be buying 49 stocks in, in seven months? No, I liken it to movie reviews. So back when, when say Siskel and Ebert were a big deal, I'm dating myself there, but they're the last famous movie reviewers. If you always liked what Ebert liked, then probably you'd want to go in that direction. I know that what I use our picks for is we have two biotech people on our team. I buy a little bit of their picks every month and I don't even need to understand their thesis. I don't need, that to me is just diversifying my portfolio from voices I trust. But again, pretty small bites, you know, a couple hundred dollars, not, not massive bites. So for me, that's kind of the strategy I've come up with. If you're a member, you might look at us and say like, wow, like I really like those three guys. Uh, Dan's picks are boring. He tends to pick retail companies or I, I joke that I usually pick the elephant up a hill companies and I haven't picked this one yet, but uh, let's say Costco. You look at Costco and you go, okay, this is a really strong company. You yeah. pull out on its 10 year stock, uh, you know, stock chart and it goes ding, 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 ding up. It's uh, that's not that exciting. And right now I think excitement is something that investors have had too much of. And what do I mean? Well, when the whole GameStop debacle was going on, we pulled all of our advertising that was based around our portfolio return. We've only been in business for a year. So the reality is our returns are incredible, but our sort of ad campaign for a few weeks was, hey, even we're not this good. Because <laughs> there, there are a couple of companies I picked and I laid out my five-year thesis. We do a, a report for members and we record pitching our other team members. Who would watch that? I don't know, but it's really popular. Uh, people <laughs> like to see the sausage being made. Yeah, and I, and I talked... I talked about this company and I said, look, everything that I said would happen over five years has happened in the last three weeks because of the pandemic. That's not typical. So right now, everyone you know, in the market kind of feels like a genius because so many things are doing really well. That's when it's more important than ever to really understand the fundamentals, the why am I buying this company, not just sort of the overall you know, oh, like I, I heard of that, like that's probably good. That can be really difficult with some of these tech companies. You know, how many people are buying, you know, based on names and it's a bad idea. And, and I'll tell you this, and I know there's a long intro. Yeah. Do not buy a stock because someone shared it on Facebook or Twitter, no matter what their intentions are. Real investors do not share picks. Now there are some wonderful people, uh, some of my former colleagues at Motley Fool who'll be transparent about their portfolio. Yeah. But they're not, they're not telling you, buy this stock now. They're just saying, this is what I own. Those are probably good guides. Like if you're going to go anywhere, but really 
go to a service like ours and we are not the only one. There's a couple of other, I just mentioned one before. Yeah. Um, we, we, we try not to promote our former employer. Um, <laughs> yeah. And go to experts, look at people that know what they're doing. I spend 40 hours a, re a week researching stocks. And of course, I also host our live show, Seven Investing Now, where what we do is we look at the news of the day, but through a long-term lens. So today, for example, we're gonna talk about Super Bowl ads uh, and we're gonna look at whether spending $5 million so your marketing department can take a pat on the back because your commercial was funny. And I know, I don't think you see the same ads watching the game in Canada. Um, but a lot of the ads were super clever. And at the end, you're like, what was that for? Or like, there was one for Squarespace, which I'll comment on them because they're not publicly traded. Yeah. And at the end of it, I went, what, what does Squarespace do? Like, is it a pill? Is it a service? Like, and <laughs> yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. All right, no, let's, let's dive in. And I'm honestly, I'm gonna have to let you lead this. I can come up with some pretty basic questions, but I am not a stock expert by even the slightest. And so, and, and when I was doing stocks, I was in and out. So I know that that's not the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, so it, here's the thing. So people always say like, oh, like it's like a casino. And mm -hmm. here's my take on a casino. I am a, I like to gamble. Uh, anyone yep. who knows me watches my show knows yep. I go to Vegas five or six times a year. I'm on a cruise once a month when such a thing is possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't view a casino as a casino. <laughs> So when okay. you go into a casino, the worst thing that could happen to you is you walk up to a roulette table, you put $100 on eight and it hits and they hand you, I have no idea, a couple thousand dollars. Like that, yeah. that's a good payout. And yeah. you go, wow, this gambling thing is easy. That's what happened in the last few months when people are buying momentum stocks or stocks that you don't understand the fundamentals of the business. So we're gonna come back to the casino in a second. Okay. But I am not an expert. Anybody who says they're, you know, oh, I'd get the market right all the time. That's like the person who only tells you they're winning poker stories. Nobody wins at poker 100% of the time. The best players sometimes lose to amateurs. But what I can tell you with stocks is, is when I'm making a monthly pick, I've read everything that could be read about that company. I've w watched every or listened to every earnings call. Why does that matter? Because so we'll go back to Costco, another company I, I use as an example a lot because it's just, it's a stalwart. It's one I'll recommend at some point, but, I, but yeah. I just, it's, it's, it hasn't been my, my number one conviction any month. Yeah. But when you watch the CFO of Costco who runs their earnings calls, every quarter he will tell you what their plan is. And then the next quarter, he will tell you how they executed that plan. And if something went wrong, he'll explain why. That gives me an enormous amount of faith compared to, and I hate to kick a dog when it's down or kick a dog at all. You really shouldn't, kick <laughs> but, but Sears. So for a long time, Eddie Lampert was the CEO of Sears, a, a venerable American iconic retail company. Yeah. And the numbers were terrible, but it would be sort of like if your doctor came to you and said, you have terrible cancer, you're going to die, but good news, that cavity you thought you had is totally fine. So, Eddie Lampert would come out and be like, we've lost $2 billion. We're closing a uh, hundred more stores. Um, it, most of our, our people have been laid off, but good news in the second two weeks of May, women's socks were trending up. And sometimes the market will jump on that. Women's socks trend and Sears will jump 8%. In the short term, the market means nothing. In the long term, good companies usually win. Why do I say usually? Because sometimes a really good company gets lost in the narrative. Uh, I, I hate to bring this name up because it has been one of those recent you know, manipulated stocks, but BlackBerry for years 
was a downtrodden stock because people wanted it to go back to its old glory where it was a leading handset provider. Yep. What they didn't notice is that it actually pivoted to be a really nice little business and that, that does things that are behind the scenes. The narrative was never gonna work out well there. TiVo, another example like that. They're, they're not a big device company, but they own a ton of patents that get sold to, to Comcast. They have sort of a, an innate, very valuable business, but that narrative may never turn around. So you could buy a company like that, own it for 10 years and not much has happened, but that's the exception. If you look at a Microsoft or an Apple or a Facebook and you go, wow, the fundamentals are great here. Here's why they dominate their market. There's a bear case for everything. Um, but if you just own those companies, you're probably going to do fine. If you're looking and going, okay, uh, I really believe that Dillard's is going to turn around and here's why. Yeah. All right. But that's probably not going to happen. And you know, there's so much false narrative out there, but let, let's finish with the, with the casino. So when I go to a casino, I view total value. So what do I mean? I mean, it's not just about the money I win or lose. It's also about what I get back. So if I go to Vegas and I grind out playing blackjack for nine hours at night, that's totally known to happen. Yeah. And I'm playing $10 a hand, but at the end of the night, I've gotten a thousand Caesars rewards credits that the next time I want to go to Vegas gets me four nights free at a nice hotel also can be redeemed for say, that's maybe like half a dinner. Yeah. Then all of a sudden that night, maybe I won $300, maybe I lost $300, but I probably gained $600 in perks. So you really have to look at the overall. When I go on a cruise, you have to play the slot machines because you, if you don't earn some points on slot machines, you won't be on the free list. So I always try to get to at least a thousand points on a three night trip. And I have a strategy here. And again, it comes back to stocks. Yeah. Find a slot machine that doesn't have a big payout because they're all going to have 88, 90% payout but the one that has a million dollar prize that's connected to machines all over the world, that's not gonna have all the little prizes. That's not gonna sort of grind and keep you going. If you have the patience for it, read a book and learn how to play video poker. Video poker is worth about half as much in terms of rewards points because you can learn how to play it correctly. Yeah. But if you wanna sit there for six hours and do the right thing every time. So I look at gambling as math and I look at the stock market as information. If you play blackjack correctly, and can even vaguely count cards, it becomes a 50-50 game. Well, what does that mean? That means that some nights you're gonna leave 10 bucks ahead, but it also means some bucks nights you're gonna lose $400 because 50-50 doesn't mean every other hand. Right. And the stock market, if you do it right, you if you're as conservative as I am, I, I don't own too many risky stocks other than the small biotech bets I've made. Yeah. If my biotech friends hit four out of every 10, their four winners make their six losers and they'll have a much better record than that, but their four winners will make their six losers look absolutely irrelevant. For me, if I hit seven out of 10 slow and steady and maybe too languish and there was one I was wrong about, um, you know, I'll give you a case of one I was wrong about five or six years ago. And I was very early in my sort of career of, I've been a business journalist, but in sort of my stock-ish world, I was a writer at The Motley Fool and I was very bullish on JCPenney. And I know that sounds absurd now, but here was my take. At, at the yeah. time, Marvin Ellison was their CEO and everything he said made sense. He said, we're gonna go into appliances, especially because Sears is leaving a lot of markets and there's no, there's no one to replace them. We're gonna go into home services. We're gonna to pivot to more you know, leisure athletic wear for women. Those are all smart things. What he hadn't counted on is the customer was already gone. 
and there was no easy way to bring them back. And instead of doing the right business thing, he probably should have been like, there's free cotton candy in the center of all our stores. Or I, <laughs> I don't know what would have worked. You know, I, I yeah. joke about, about this, but if you want to socially distance, go to JCPenney. Like it's, <laughs> it's about the safest place you could be right now. So yeah. it really is just like a casino where you could gamble and get that rush of winning, but you're almost always going to lose. Or you could do your homework or pay someone like me the near price of $17 a month uh, to do your research. And really, if I'm telling you about a stock that I like and I've made it a pick, I've done my homework. I've probably followed the company for years. In most cases, I've been there. I've talked yep. to the CEO. Like that's where you want to go. Now, I'm not saying you can't do your own research. All the yep. things I just said, I have some tools because I'm a trained journalist. Most yep. of my, my colleagues are not. Um, I don't believe in charts. We don't set prices to enter or exit. I've sold one stock in six years. Um, the only stock I've sold is WWE. Why did I sell? Because during the pandemic, their revenues stayed the same, their profits went up and they laid off a bunch of people. That to me is evil. Is that consistent? No, it isn't. Because it, it, through 401ks, I own say Amazon, which is famous for treating its blue collar workers badly. And let me tell you, they don't treat their white collar workers. Some of my ex Microsoft colleagues work there. It's a very difficult place to work. So I don't have some sort of consistent moral code. I know there are some people who won't buy a stock that's not in line with their values. I'm sort of in the middle of that. Like if I really like the company, I'm more willing to overlook certain things, but I still believe in WWE. I just, I felt kind of icky owning it, uh, you know? So, which again, it's not consistent, but a lot of people will ask us uh, why we don't tell them to sell or, hey, my stock is tripled, should I take some profits? Jim Cramer is famous for saying, take your money off the table. Jim Cramer is a fool. And I, and I mean that with a small F. Your winners win. Keep your money invested in your winners. That being said, if, it, if you bought a stock and it went up 10,000% and one of two things has happened, you think the thesis has played out or it's become so much of your portfolio that you can't sleep at night, that's when you take some money out. That, that's, that's valuing your mental health over your investment portfolio. But like how many people when Amazon hit $1,000 was like, Amazon can't go up from here. I'm going to sell yeah. those people or, or the Jim Cramer, take your money off the table, play with house money. Once you've earned it, it isn't house money. It's your money. Right. So <clears throat> this might be some really dumb questions, but you're saying never sell. Um, so are you buying something that's going to spit off a cash flow to be able to like live off of this at some point? Like, are you going to be buying like dividend, dividend stocks or index funds? Like, is there a cash flow thing that you sort of element so, to pick off? So strategies depend on your age. Yes. So obviously if you're heading, heading towards retirement and you want to live off an income flow for your, from your stocks, Certainly, and this is where I am not an investment advisor, I have no certifications, I'm speaking in a broad yeah. personal sense, then you might want to own more blue chip stocks that pay a dividend. So, you know, yeah. right now, like I own Microsoft because I worked there, I, I worked there at the worst of the company during Windows yeah. 8, and I saw the transformation, and I truly believe in them long term. They pay a dividend. I view that dividend as gravy because I'm 47, and hopefully I write and talk for a living. I can do that till I'm 107. 
Uh, I have no retirement plans. You know, my my investment fund is hopefully so I can buy nicer stuff when I get older, or <laughs> or maybe work a little, you know, work a little less. Like, but that said, you never know. Rainy day, you can get incapacitated. The we could be replaced by holograms. Lots of stuff could happen. Yep. Um, so you really need mm. to sit down, and the first thing you do is do a financial audit. What kind of shape am I in? Do I have excess money a month? And if you do, well, some of that can go to investing or do I have credit card debt? If you have credit card debt, you're paying like 18 to 25%. Good luck making 18 to 25% in a normal stock market. So the best thing you could do is pay off that credit card debt. Now, if you have student loan debt and it's at a very low percentage, you might want to just pay that normally. Now, for some people, there's peace of mind. Like I pay a little bit extra towards my mortgage every year to turn my 30 year mortgage into like a 22 year mortgage. Yeah. Uh, but that said, we're now selling our house and then we're going to buy something else <laughs> exactly. for cash. So none of that strategy mattered. Um, but you know, that's all kind of personal. So you sit down, you figure out what my goals are. Maybe you have an interim goal. Maybe you're 30 and you just had a kid and your goal is to pay for college in 18 years. So you want to look at say, okay, when my kid is 18, I'm going to need G let's use today's dollars. I'm going to need 60 to a hundred thousand dollars to pay for even a mediocre school here in Florida, maybe 40 will get you a state school, whatever the goal is. And you're going to sit down and what are those milestones? And when you're about three years out, you probably want to take that money out of the market because even a safe stock, Microsoft has fallen more than 20% multiple times in the past 10 years. That would be unfortunate if, if that was a portion of your holdings that was intended to pay for something specific. So anything you need in three years, you should take out, put it in some sort of very safe. And I know right now things pay very, very little, uh, yeah. but some sort of very safe investment. We don't generally recommend ETFs, but if you don't want to do the work to trade individual stocks, yeah. just buy the NASDAQ, like, you know, just buy, you know, buy QQQ, buy, I'm not recommending, I don't know what the fee structure is for that, yeah. but fi find things. Now I know my 401k does not offer, and I, I'm, I'm as technically in, an independent contractor. So I have a 401k that's just me, yeah. but it's not self-directed. I'm just setting like which funds I, I want to be in. I can't pick individual stocks. Yeah. I know the funds I own have given me a lot of exposure to companies I otherwise would own individually, Amazon, Apple. Most people, with their 401k, don't do that. Uh, max out your 401k if there's a company match, uh, max it out for the tax reasons. And even if you're just putting $50 a paycheck, if you start that when you're young, $1,000 invested when you're 20 is some astounding amount of money when you're 65. I don't have that chart in front of me, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like 180 grand. Like it, it, it piles up quickly. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll, sorry to cut you off there, but I'll, I'll give uh -huh. one more 30 second thing. Everyone talked about with this whole GameStop Robinhood thing, that the market's not fair. Sure, if you're talking trading, it was never fair. Robots were always smarter than you. Now they're way smarter than you. So your ability to day trade, 97% of day traders lose money. And in that remaining 3%, most of them with fees don't make any appreciable money. You have an advantage as an investor and that's time. A hedge fund manager can't go to his stakeholders and be like, oh no, this will be great in 10 years. Uh, you know, they're getting judged when an analyst comes on CNBC and I hate to pick on CNBC, but they're irresponsible. <laughs> yeah. um, when they come on, they don't tell you that that analyst is being judged quarter to quarter. It's one of the things I look at with companies. Like when you have a company like Amazon that at the beginning of the pandemic said, well, we made all this money, but we're going to plow it back into uh, COVID logistics. 
Most companies can't do that. So you want, because they're managing quarter to quarter. So when you want to buy this trendy new whatever, uh, that's what you got to be careful about because they will manage for a short-term result. And that's not always a great idea. Think the, the bodybuilder who trains for like the one day of competition and then like everything falls apart afterwards or the fighter, same thing versus like the long distance runner that has to train, you know, for multiple races a year to get through it. That's not a great yeah. example because they, they, they <clears throat> but yeah. you know what I'm saying. I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I know, I know, I know where we're going in this. <laughs> and, uh, so next, there are no, you know what? That's not true. There are dumb questions. As someone who's hosted a, a live yeah. television show for, for yeah. a couple of years now, occasionally you do get a dumb question. Uh, but I'm going to guess from you, there are no dumb questions. No, no. Because if, if, you know what? If I have that question, I bet you somebody else has the same question. And it's no longer dumb because we've solved a couple of people's quick answers. And, right? and yeah. that's what, one of our goals at 7investing is, you know, we want to democratize trading. Trading platforms, and, and I hate even the word trading, investing. Yeah. Trading platforms have gotten free. My bank account was asking me the other day if I wanted to buy stocks. I'm like, that's not what I come to you for, bank account. Like, um, you know, but generally, whether it's, I'm not a giant fan of Robinhood because they, they push short-term trading, but there's nothing fundamentally wrong with the platform compared to most others. It, it's, I think you're better off with a big brokerage, what, you know, with a Schwab, a TD Ameritrade, you know, your bank. Um, yeah. But in general, everybody can, can buy and sell stocks for free. So they, what we want to do is give you that knowledge. I know so many people that are scared of the stock market or that buy a stock and expect something to happen right away. I always go with the old, uh, you know, it was a cooker that advertised with, uh, it was a rotisserie cooker, set it and forget it. Yeah. And buy a good company and then go back to your life. You shouldn't have to be watching tickers. You know, people ask us all the time, oh my God, Apple was down 4% today, why? Well we'll take a quick look to make sure like the CEO didn't die or like something terrible, you know, uh, iPhones give you cancer. Well, that would be really bad. That's, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. But like that would be really bad for your Apple thesis. Yeah. So every now and then when Samsung phones were blowing up, we would probably explain, okay, this is bad for the company. It's a big deal. Most of the times when a stock moves, whether it be 3%, 5%, 50%, mm -hmm. it's for no good reason. So Apple came out with what I consider probably the best earnings report I've ever seen. They've, they did up at least double digits in every category. Their service revenue, which has been a real focus, had grown by an enormous amount. Their customer base was at an all-time high. And the stock was down 4% that day, while GameStop, a very, very struggling retailer, was up 380% or whatever the number was. I'm making up the number. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the reality is in the long run, it's like baseball. Put up good numbers consistently and eventually people will recognize you were, you're good. Will they always make the exact case at the exact time? Nope. But that's much better than the, the rookie who hits three home runs in his first five games and four for the season. I, so so yeah. the problem is people want to make this hard. Yeah. And we get so many people that are pulling out charts and, oh, this is here, that's there. What's the strike price? I'll buy it when it's down 10%. You know yep. what happens when you say, I'm going to buy it when it's down 10%? Maybe you never never buy it. <laughs> down 10%, and you never buy it. Yep. I know a lot of people on some very big stocks that tried to play that game and just, you know, look, there was never a bad time to buy Amazon. If it, Sure. Are there dips? Absolutely. Yep. But if you buy good companies and add to those positions as time allows, 
Uh, so, you know, what I do is I try to keep nothing as more than 15% of my portfolio unless it's organically gotten there. So if I own a company and it's gone up 5 billion percent, I probably won't buy anymore, but I'm probably not going to sell any and I'll put money into other things I believe in. And again, it's pretty simple. The average person will do better if they use a service like 7investing, yeah. but they would do fine if they literally just looked at like, what are the products I use? Oh, hey, I got up in the morning and I drove to Starbucks. Is Starbucks a good company? When you look at the fundamentals, yeah. Amazing growth in China. There is a small amount of risk of operating in China. Amazing growth in the US, but they've largely tapped out their store base. A huge opportunity in consumer goods and packaged goods with Nestle running that business for them globally. Uh, and that, you know, you think they're dominant, but you go to the grocery store and they're not dominant. So that's an ability to get bigger. And then you dig in deeper and you go, oh, they've sort of held off on building out a premium brand. That was something Howard Schultz really wanted to do. And I know, because I've been to the roastery, that for the top 15% of Starbucks fans or people who are looking for a date experience, when they start to build out premium, you're going to go and be like, hey, I don't just want a cup of coffee because I'm on my way to work. I want to sit and have a tasting flight of cold brews and a person explain them to me and give me some you know, soda water to drink in between to cleanse my palate. That's like a $30 experience for the same $4 cup of coffee that cost them 17 cents to make. So I can feel comfortable. Now, I'll give an example of a Canadian company. Uh, Tim Hortons is owned by the company that owns Burger King. They also own Popeyes. That's a restaurant brands international. Yep. Well, I really like Tim Hortons. Uh, they don't, they haven't done well here in the U S because the second one would open Dunkin' Donuts would open like four around it in a circle and just pelt them with coffee cups. Like I, I wish I was kidding, but that's really what happened in Connecticut where I, where I live. Wow. Yeah. Um, I live in West Palm beach, Florida now, but I, I, I lived in Connecticut for a long time. I was yep. so excited that a Tim's opened and a Dunkin' Donuts opened across the street. That Dunkin' Donuts franchisee is likely being subsidized to put that Tim Hortons out of business. That said, the Popeye's business is strong. Tim Hortons' business is strong in Canada. For me, the selling point here is I don't really believe in Burger King. I don't think they have a compelling story compared to McDonald's. I don't think their technology is great. I don't think they've leveraged delivery well. So if I was a big Burger King eater or a big Popeye's guy, I am not, um, I would do my research and I go, hey, this is a good company for me to eat their fries, not a great company for me to invest in. If you turn on the TV, what streaming service do you watch? That streaming service might be a good investment. Like it's not that hard to figure out like th there are pitfalls, you know, Costco, Target, Walmart, all probably pretty good stocks. If you're a Kroger customer, that's a publicly traded grocery chain, you'll go in and you'll be like, Kroger's really busy. I bet this is a good company to own they're going to have a really hard time post-pandemic because you know who they compete with? Target, Amazon, Walmart. Yeah. Walmart and Amazon don't need to make money on grocery. So where is buying investing advice from a credible person like me? Uh, and there are others, but there aren't that many. <laughs> where, where does that come in? It's, well, how much time did you spend researching Kroger or figuring out why even in a world where they're going to gain customers in a very low margin business, why they may not be a long, a great long-term play. They'll, they're a fine business. Uh, they talk about this on Shark Tank all the time. Yeah. That's a great business for you. It's not a business I would want to own. And there are a lot of companies I look at and go, okay, that's a nice mature business, but where's the growth coming from? And it can get tricky. You know, uh, you know we had Salesforce by Slack earlier this year. Yep. Can the average person yep. tell you what Salesforce does? I've used it. I can't tell you what it does. 
uh, I use Slack, but when I look at Slack, my thought is generally, how are they making money? Like, and I get it that they sell premium services, but why does my free version of Slack, I have a Slack that's just like for my friends, yep. why does that not have an ad on it? Like, like yeah, so no. it takes a lot of work to look at, you know, is this company making money? And in the case of a lot of high-tech companies or biotech, they're not. What is their path to making money? Is there sort of a, you know, now look, if you're investing in biotech, I'll go back to the, the you know, you're going to strike out more than you, you're going to hit yeah. because no one can tell you if the, the drug's going to get approved, if it's going to be effective, it's going to work. So what do you look at? What, do, what, what does my team look at or my colleagues look at? They look at who's the management? What's the goal? Is what they're doing grounded in proper science? Does it fill a need? Is it going to be marketable? Because let's say I come up with the absolute best technology for artificial skin for burn patients, and it's 100% more effective than the third be uh, best technology, but the third best is way easier to deploy and it's way cheaper. Which one do you think insurance companies are going to go for? So you've really yep. got to dig in on all of that. And again, for most people, that's too much. So I look at what we do. So when we release our seven picks, you get our write-ups, uh, and that's seveninvesting.com. You get our write-ups, and that's the number seven, not the word seven, though I think both work. Um, when you get our write-ups, you can go, oh, hey, Dan picked company X. Here is why. Here is what the industry looks like. Here are the risks. Uh, here's what he thinks about the management. And then you could watch a video of me talking about that company where my colleagues come back and say, oh, Dan, like, no, what about this giant risk? Yeah. Um, and there are always risks. And one of the things we tell people is don't let the downside talk you out of the upside because there's always going to be a downside. So for me, like I don't own Tesla. Most of my colleagues do. Why don't I own Tesla? It's a great company. I question whether they'll get stomped on by traditional automakers uh, because certainly electric vehicles is not going to be unique to Tesla. I understand they have tremendous brand loyalty, but they also have a not reliable CEO. I'm, I'm being very careful to not use a mental illness word that's, that's inappropriate, but Elon Musk is playing games. He's not nice. Uh, he doesn't treat people well. Like there are a lot of reasons I don't want to own that company and none of them have to do with the fact that the car is pretty cool and I'd absolutely like to drive one though I have real questions on reliability. So this can get really complicated and my colleagues don't always agree. So I'll go back to a, to one that failed a lot of people. I, Luckin Coffee. Is that a brand you're, you've heard of? I have, but it's because I heard it on another show. So, so Luckin, <laughs> I've never had it. <laughs> Luckin was, a, oh no, you'd have to go to China. Luckin was a Chinese coffee company competing in that market with Starbucks. And their stock fell apart because they had an accounting scandal. But for many years, I was negative on Luckin Coffee, even though the company I worked for had recommended it in multiple services. We were allowed to do that. I'm allowed to yeah. do that where I work now. But my bull case wasn't, or my bear case wasn't someday there'll be an accounting scandal. Nobody can know that. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it wasn't, I don't invest in Chinese companies. My bear case was the core of their business model was we'll seed the market with free coffee, make it really easy for you to get a free cup. And you, I'm drinking water, not coffee. And you <laughs> will, you will try our coffee and yeah. then become a customer. Here's the problem. They aren't the premier brand. They are the low end brand in the space. Oh. So you've never had coffee. The, the average uh, Chinese person has had way more tea than coffee. Uh, and, and you try coffee 
And full price coffee at Luckin Coffee is not appreciably cheaper than Starbucks. And it's largely mobile. So you don't get that, that third space experience. You don't get the, the cachet of the cup well, of what is considered a luxury brand in the market. Maybe not as luxury in the US, but a luxury brand yep. in China. And you also don't get the social experience of you know pulling out your laptop and telling people you're writing a novel or or yeah. meeting friends or, or or you know having a date or a, an interview or like whatever it is yeah. so i always looked at luckin and i said they are teaching people to be starbucks customers this is a terrible business model so right. this is again where like that's that you know the professional part of it is you don't have time the average person who has a job doesn't have time to figure out that nuance or it doesn't have, you know, you, you look at the experience on my team and two of our people have advanced biomedical degrees. In my case, oh. well, started out as a journalist, uh, ended up in some really big internet companies during the first internet boom. Then I spent four years in my family business where I was running retail, rental and manufacturing. So when I look at a company that makes stuff, I've made stuff, I've bought commodities, I under, I've imported from China. All the things like I have that experience. And then I spent two years running a giant toy store. So when you look at all sorts of retail, is my opinion valid? Or is the guy with the business degree on whatever channel it is? I've been in the trenches. I understand sort of what it means and like how to look at the Christmas season and, and all of that. Uh, and, I, and I think that's something we give to investors that you're not going to go out and get that experience. You're not going to want to, I promise you. It's not fun when you're on a long trip and instead of the cool podcast you want to listen to, you're listening to the, uh, you know, Disney investor relations call. And like, <laughs> and, and that's what I'm doing a lot of the time. Yeah. And I do it so you don't have to. There, yeah. There's some people who love that. And look, if you're going to be nervous by a 3% or a 5% stock move, don't buy stocks. Nothing says you have to buy stocks. Buy index funds, uh, buy things. But really... We always say, check your portfolio once a month, once a quarter, if it's going to matter to you. You know, we try to, you know, we do, do member updates. So people who are members, whenever there's something we think is relevant to a pick we've made or something that people are asking us a lot of questions about, we'll write about it. But yeah. a lot of times what we're saying is, yep, this is a blip in the road or this is what we expected to happen. Uh, a, you know, a big example is a Fastly is a, a U.S. tech company. And they were tied up heavily with TikTok. And it's a company a lot of my colleagues like, uh, frankly, a lot of investors like. And when the whole TikTok thing happened and it looked like Microsoft was gonna buy them, that would mean that Fastly would lose its biggest customer. It was like eight or 10% of their business. And people were flipped out. But here's the reality. If you believe they have a good product and the reason they lose a customer is because their competitor with a similar product buys it, that doesn't fundamentally change the business. You know, if, if Tim Hortons buys a building that Starbucks is in and when the Starbucks leases up, they kick them out and put in a Tim Hortons, that didn't change. Sorry, I don't know that much about Canada. So I'm yeah. leaning on, I'm kidding. I've, been, I've actually spent a lot of time in Canada. But, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, that didn't change Starbucks business model. It was just one store where a competitor happened to buy the building they own. So yeah. you, you've really got to tune out a lot of the noise and if it wasn't my job, I would watch exactly zero financial news. Like I would probably <laughs> check in like on more of like a magazine monthly schedule because it doesn't matter whether Apple sold 2% more, more watches or whatever. It matters what their long-term strategy is and how they're executing it. And, you know, we've talked about not selling. Well, when are inflection points when I look at selling? 
Well, if there's a management change, when, and I'll go back to Starbucks, when the CEO changed uh, and, and Howard Schultz stepped aside and uh, Kevin Johnson, I'm always black in his name, but uh, the CEO of Starbucks <laughs> steps in, he changed the strategy. He wanted to focus on execution rather than the premium strategy. So he said, let's put this on hold. We're not gonna launch a thousand mini roasteries. We're not gonna put premium sections in 20% of our stores. And he got in the trenches and he said, what's slowing down our production? And yep. they automated things like inventory. They basically said, how can we keep the same headcount but interact better with our customers and be faster and do better with mobile order and pay and, and integrate delivery? Well, who looks like a genius? Because we had a pandemic where they had to close their stores and getting your drink out quickly. Like if they're not making things fast and I'm in the drive-through line, that's yeah. bad. And there were yeah. points where the drive-through order where I went to went back as far as the eye could see. And yes, it was a longer wait than expected, but it was really efficiently done. They had all that in place. McDonald's, another one that had put that infrastructure in place. Now, did they do it thinking there was going to be a global pandemic that would shut down their operations? Of course not. Well, McDonald's is always the, the <laughs> they're the ones that everyone bases all of their structures off of. Well, I, I, it's funny. I often joke, you don't have to be an innovator. You have to watch the innovator. Yeah. If you're Dunkin' Donuts, which is no longer, well, it's no longer Dunkin' Donuts, it's Dunkin'. They're no longer a publicly traded company. But when they were a publicly traded company, they could let Starbucks be their innovation lab. They could look and see what is Starbucks doing? Oh, mobile order and pay and a loyalty program is working okay, we kind of have a mostly different customer base than them, but we'll give our customer base those things. Costco, which we've talked about, they're another one. They don't have to be an innovator. They're a membership-based business. So they can sit back and as long as their, their renewal rates are in line, they don't have to make any changes. If they see a slight dip in their renewal rates, they can ask those people why and figure out if there's a trend. So it really is a lot of investing is knowing those nuances. And I'll, I'll give another Costco example. Uh, this applies to Dollar General as well. When you see general business reporting, they will focus on the easiest metrics. So the easiest metrics is same store sales. And for most businesses, same store sales are a good metric. So, okay, uh, McDonald's is selling 3% more on average in each of its stores. That's great. Here's the problem with Costco or Dollar General. For Costco, it doesn't matter if they sell you anything the vast majority of their profit is the membership. So as long as you're happy and renewing, the number that matters is the renewal rate, which always hovers around 90%. The amount of people they convert to, from their $60 membership to their $120 membership. Dollar General, they open stores quickly. That store gets to the top business it's gonna do based on how geographically based they are within a neighborhood. And then they open another one, a thousand a year. As long as they're on pace to open a thousand a year, and the new stores keep performing as they historically have, that company is doing well. But the lead of their earnings report in 99.9% .9 of business publications will be, oh, same store sales were down half a percent. Maybe they were down half a percent because they sold sweaters the month before, and this month they're selling something that's a lower dollar cost. It doesn't matter. So yep. it, it's really, it's very, very nuanced how you follow these things. And um, if you saw the conversations on our team Slack, I mean, today, today it was all about uh, Tesla buying a billion five in Bitcoin. Uh, and my opinion is that Elon Musk is manipulating the price of Bitcoin and probably owns a bunch of it. And, but that you could be arguing that Tesla is pioneering a new way to keep cash or who, those are the things we're talking about, you know, during the Super Bowl or on a, <laughs> on a given Saturday night. Oh, the Bitcoin conversation, like we could talk about that for a whole, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. 
I'm going to cut you off before sure. we go. Um, let's talk a bit about your company. So you said $17 a month. What does that look like? Is it like an email? Is it a, a, a forum? What is it that you're getting and what is it? Yeah. So if you go to seveninvesting.com slash subscribe, uh, you can sign up. You could also pay $170 a year. And again, I'm not a math magician, but I believe that's two months it's free. free. Yep. <laughs> um, we also, so what do you get? Every month you get an email. It's also on the site. Uh, that shows you what our seven picks are. And that, that's a link to all the write-ups. Uh, a few weeks later, the videos come out. So most people, that's what they want. They want to know what our picks are. And generally, they're buying either the ones they were already thinking about and where sort of that final conviction, or they're buying the investor they're most like. So, you know, I'm the oldest person on the team, so I might not be as risky as the guys who are in their 20s or, right. or, or Manisha Sammy, one of our biotech people who is much, much younger. Yeah. Um, then you also get our recommendations table. This shows every stock we've ever purchased and what its performance is. So even if for some reason we sold a stock, which we've never done uh, in the year we've been in business, but we ha we've had a couple that have merged. So even when there's a merge, we will, you know, a lot of times two companies merge and you get shares of the new company and then cash. We will adjust our table to reflect that. So we, we had one of our seven leave. He's a he had an amazing opportunity to run a fund for conscious capital. So almost anyone would, would take that job. Yeah. Um, but his picks stay on our scoreboard forever. So we don't just say we're good. You can check and see. Now, again, yeah. we're doing incredibly well. We're beating the market by like 49%. Yeah. That's not typical. In a normal year, if the, the average market was returned was 9% and we're giving you 18, that'd be good. So you also get, as a member, you get access to us. What does that mean? We do a call every month for new members. What do we do with new members? We teach them a lot of the things we've talked about today. Yeah. We take them through the site. Then we do a call every month with existing members. That's when we really answer your down and dirty questions about the stocks we've picked. And a lot of times that's, hey, you picked the stock four months ago, it's up 200%. Is it still a good time to buy? Uh, and we try to really answer those questions. We're the most responsive company I've ever seen. We answer all our email, but what we try to do is if we get a broad question, uh, we answer that on our, on our free live show on 7investing now. We try to sort of make education fun and easy. And part of why the company was started, our CEO, Simon Erickson, is we all come from a really big, amazing, excellent company. Not all of us, but most of us came, came from the same place. And we said, well, what if we were just more intimate? What if we had you know, sort of a smaller company with really low overhead, where the goal was to just be able to connect and to take people who are either doing it wrong, the I got excited about day trading crowd, yeah. or maybe an underserved audience. Uh, certainly women are an underserved audience in the stock market. And basically showing people that this doesn't have to be difficult. There can be a community. Uh, and we try to be very, very accessible. So when we're doing our show, I want it to feel like, you remember like radio in the old days when it was yeah, yeah. like late at night and you know, you're on in the Toronto station and they've spent the last, there wasn't a, a Maple Leafs game that day. So everything has been talked out yeah. and you're taking a call, you know, from, uh, you know, Joe and Guelph and you talk to him for 40 minutes because, you know, or, you know, How have you heard of Guelph? <laughs> uh, Jim Gillies, one of my former colleagues lives in Guelph. So, so I, I was going to throw out a Drummondville reference because that was my hockey exchange when I, oh, when geez. I, I'm, I'm 30 minutes from Guelph, right? <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I I've heard wonderful things about it. Um, but then one day he told me about his pool and I said, well, how often a year can you use the pool? And it's like a four week season. So 
Well, it's not quite that long. That's when you get a heated pool. <laughs> you didn't get the, the three or four month season. <laughs> Living here in West Palm Beach, we just had our winter, uh, which was four days where it was below 70 degrees. So I, I've lost any tolerance, but sort of what our goal is at, at Seven Investing, and we've hurt ourselves with our pricing. Because yeah. like I, I've talked to my aunt, who's a pretty seasoned investor and a, a CEO and a very important person. And she said, well, $17 a month, I pay hundreds of dollars for different services. Yep, you do. But we wanted our service, yeah, the, the seasoned investor is going to learn a lot from us. But our core customer is that investor that's never done it before or owns a few shares of Amazon that got as a gift but doesn't really know. We want to help everybody get rich. Uh, the stock market isn't just for rich people. If you put in, you know, even if it's $25 a paycheck and, and you buy fractional shares, which, which most brokerages allow that, you can own tiny pieces of good companies. Well, if you own 5% of a share of Amazon and Amazon goes up 500% over the next you know, 10 years, your tiny piece is up 500%. It can be really fun. Uh, and we sort of explain some of the nuances of that. So you know, if, if you're doing a little bit of your own work, but what we stress a lot is most of the people who are giving investment advice, the more you do, the better they do. In our case, the less you do. Historically, the fewer trades you make, especially on the sell side, the more money you make. So at Seven Investing, it's really the philosophy we were all taught uh, and we've all learned and we've all put into practice. How do we share that? And, and I liken it to holding your hand. Like you're going to do this and we're going to be there every step of the way for you. You said a lot of things that are, are really like, I've been deep diving all the Gary Vee stuff, but you've been saying a lot of stuff. It's just like, be more intimate be um, uh, you know, able to be able to contact, stop being this big corporate face because it's not the way the future is going. That's not what people are looking for. And I, I, anyway, it, what you're, what, the things you're spitting out are, it's exactly, I think what people are looking for. And at $17 a month, it's an, at an affordable level for anybody, like anyone can afford this. The other thing we do, and it's awesome, is if you're a member, you get a referral code. And for every person who joins using your code, you get a free month. We have members. I, I joke because I'm 47. I don't want us to sell more, get, have someone get more than 20 years of referral codes. Yeah. But we have multiple people who aren't paying for five years. Uh, if people tweet out their code, we'll generally share it. We also have an affiliate program uh, for any people who have maybe personal finance websites. We don't let just anyone join. It has to be people, we, you know, maybe it's a show I've been on. Maybe it's someone who's in our world. Uh, and, and those people get paid and they get recurring money from it. So yep. we're trying to build very organically. And if, like, if you look at my Twitter at worst ideas seven or the at seven investing Twitter, a lot of the conversations feel like we know the people because we do. I can't tell you how many members are asking me like, Hey, when the pandemic's over, will you share your travel schedule? Like I, I want to be in Vegas when you're in, <laughs> I want to be on a cruise. We're totally going to do that is have some, you know, Hey, not yeah. everyone. But hey, Dan's going to be on this weekend cruise. If anybody wants to come, you know, just let them know and we'll do. So we want to be like that. And yeah. I think that makes it a little easier to invest because it is scary. When, when we've had market crashes, uh, you know, where the stock market is, is racing to the bottom and you, and you open your portfolio and it's down 30%. Um, you know, it's a, a former colleague of mine, a guy named Jason Hall, or a very good investor, posted a, an article from where we all work that... Uh, that, that said, I'm a millionaire. And he was, he was joking a little bit, but his portfolio had topped a million dollars. And then the next day the market crashed and he wrote, not a millionaire anymore. And the point <laughs> of it was to illustrate that it's a really long ride and it doesn't really matter what happened. So I hope at Seven Investing, 
that, you know, that we're the approachable stock market people. Like I don't wear a suit ever. Nobody who wears a suit is approachable. Uh, not ever, because we're doing an anniversary show. We're all going to dress up for fun. For some of us, that means yeah. costumes. For some of us, that will mean a suit. I'll be wearing a suit jacket. I will not be wearing pants, uh, just shorts as all. <laughs> I've worn pants exactly one time in a year. I volunteered at a COVID clinic in South Carolina. It was cold, so I had to put some jeans on. Uh, but, but for the most part, uh, you know, we try to really connect with people. And even if you're not a member, if you just watch us on 7investing now, which you can see on, on Twitter, on YouTube, on, on my personal Facebook, any place where shows are offered, you can watch it live or you can watch the archive. It's also on our 7investing web, website under live stream. If you subscribe as a podcast, you get the live stream. Plus, uh, we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday for the live stream. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do interviews. Now, our level of interview has been amazing, but once the pandemic ends and we can go back to going to trade shows, our level of interview will climb up. So there are people we've talked to that in the real world, you're not going to get the investing opinions of, say, a Morgan Housel, um, you know, whose book, The Psychology of Money, is going to be turned into a movie. I'm not even sure how that works, uh, you know, but it, but it is. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the people we can talk to that are in our world and you get to hear all these interesting philosophies. We're partnered with that crypto EQ, which is really one of the few credible voices in, I, I don't own any cryptocurrency because I don't understand it, but these guys explained it in a way and rated it in a way that I'll probably put half a percent, some small amount in it, because these guys who really, really understand it, believe in it. So we try to open up those worlds and it's so much fun. I, I, it's what we're doing right now. Like I love doing this. That's awesome. So if people wanted to uh, track you down, Daniel, where's the best way? I know you listed some stuff there. Sure. <laughs> I, so I, I'm at Worst Ideas 7 on Twitter. That is the easiest way to follow me. Uh, okay. I've opened up my direct messages, so it, I have to approve you. But if you send me a legitimate question, I will answer it okay. um, publicly. A lot of times we'll just grab it and talk about it on the show. Yep. I, you, if you have questions about our service, it's info at 7 Investing. Dot com and of course seven investing.com slash subscribe because we of course would love for you to join that is how i get paid so. <laughs> awesome thank you so much for coming on the show there's like so many stories of companies i think that, <laughs> so everyone can relate to one of them so uh, really i really appreciate I, it <laughs> i hope so uh, thank you for having me on <laughs>